All right, Isaiah chapter 9, we'll be looking in verses 6 through 7. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. As we've been discussing over the uh, past several weeks, Isaiah prophesied during a dark time in Israel's history. It was a dark time in terms of spiritual darkness. There was a lot of sin and a lot of idolatry in the land. There was a lot of immorality, a lot of weird ideas rampant immorality, and the absence of truth. The people had lost the concept of truth and what truth is. And I, I feel like this kind of matches up with what we're seeing in our current society, where we see sin and idolatry. People are committing sin, rampant sin. They're justifying their sin, rampant immorality. And we see idolatry, where people are inventing their own versions of God and worshiping that to the point that they don't even see the value of coming together as Christian brothers and sisters anymore they have their own version of God that they can worship at home by themselves without ever having their theology challenged by Scripture. We see an absence of truth. We see, and we see this in our country today where you can literally get in trouble for saying 2 plus 2 equal 4. Did y'all know this has actually become an issue about how math is unfair? And so we're, we're losing absolute truth, and we're in a time of spiritual darkness. In Isaiah's time, they were going through a time of spiritual darkness. But there is also a time of national darkness, being conquered by the Assyrians. That's what the nation of Israel was enduring. They were being conquered by the Assyrians and taken into captivity. And they were being divided. There was conflict among the people of the nation. So there's threats from without. There's national, uh, there's national tragedy. There's national losses. There, is, there are enemies at the gates. The country is crumbling. But it's also crumbling from inside as the people inside the country were divided against each other. And we see this in our culture as well, where we have enemies at the gates. You look around the world, we have plenty of enemies of the United States around the world, but our worst enemy seems to come from within because with our absence of truth and our spiritual darkness, we are turned against each other and our country is literally crumbling down from the inside out. And that's the type of society that... Isaiah was prophesying to us. He spoke these words in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. But God shined the light into the darkness that was Israel. And he shined that light through his prophet Isaiah, who called the nation to repentance. He confronted sin, he preached repentance from sin, and he prophesied of the Christ. And the light that we can shine in the darkness today the light that we can show those who are still walking in darkness, who are still living in darkness, is we can show our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not only can we show our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but we can call our friends and our loved ones and our country to repentance, to turn from the sin and the darkness at their end, and to turn toward the light, Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, Scripture tells us about the Christ. First of all, we learn who he is. And second of all, 
we learn what he will do. And finally, and this is what really spoke to me this week, we learn about his motivation. All right? So in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, let's look at who Jesus is, who Christ is. Verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The scripture says, unto us a child is born, and we looked at this in great detail last week, that this speaks to the humanity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He was born like the rest of us are born. He grew up the way the rest of us grew up. He worked the way the rest of us grew up, uh, worked. He faced the same needs, same challenges in life that we all face, all right? And this allowed him to relate to us, to understand us, to be empathetic toward us, to have compassion toward us. And therefore, knowing that he has that compassion for us, knowing that he has that empathy for us, knowing that he has experienced the life that we experience, we know that we can come before him confidently, knowing that he will hear us, knowing that he will understand us, and we can come to him confidently to find grace to help in time of need. Isaiah 9, 6 says, unto us a child is born. It goes on to say, unto us a son is given. The son given, this is, a, this is not a son that is born, although he has been born, it's a son that is given, a son that has been given over. Unto us a son is given, and the son that has been given is the son of God. And this speaks to the divinity of Christ. So we see that Christ was human. We see that he went through the life that we went through, but he was also divine. He was God in flesh. Now the idea that unto us a son is given speaks to the, to the divinity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the divinity of Jesus and the Son being given, it speaks to the gospel. This morning during Sunday school, we talked about John 3.16 a little bit. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. When Nicodemus heard that, when he gave his only begotten Son, his mind should have gone back to Isaiah 9.6 that says, Unto us a Son is given. John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This speaks to the gospel because the only begotten Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was given for us, was given to go to the cross to pay for our sins, to clear our sin debt, to, to clear our guilt, to clear our shame, so that we can enter the kingdom of God, stand before him on judgment day, and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Unto us a child is born, his humanity. Unto us a son is given, his divinity. He's fully God, he's fully man. And every other name given in Isaiah 9, 6 speaks to his divinity. As we read through here in Isaiah 9, 6, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. This is a miraculous teacher, a teacher who works miracles. And we've been reading in the book of John, we've been studying the book of John here at LifePoint, where we talk about the miracles of Christ, and they pick out in the book of John 7 in particular that point to his divinity. He was also a great teacher, and we see that in the words of Christ as we as recorded in the four Gospels. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is just simply amazing. And when you understand the Sermon on the Mount in light of the Gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
when you understand the Sermon on the Mount in light of the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the redemption that he brings, it truly is a powerful teaching. He was a wonderful counselor, a miraculous teacher, and the miracles that he worked proved his divinity, proved that he was God in flesh. Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, we know that you are a teacher come from God because no man could do the miracles you're doing except God be with you. And Nicodemus was having an issue in John chapter 3 because he had grown up and had been taught and had been educated one way, but what he was seeing out of Jesus was something that was challenging his theology and even more devastating to Nicodemus. What he was seeing out of Jesus was something that was challenging his pride. And that is... That is something to take into consideration. When the word of God challenges your pride, that's something that you have to take into consideration. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, it is speaking to the divinity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the prince of peace, the prince of peace. That word shalom means to be safe, means to be complete, means to have everything you need. It means to be in good welfare. The Prince of Peace, the Prince who brings peace. He is the one who makes us complete. He is the one who provides what we need. He is the one who gives peace to our souls and us knowing that when we pass from this life, we will enter into the kingdom of God. The Prince of Peace. Every promise that we have from God is bound up in Christ and who he is. Every promise. Your promise of going to heaven is bound up in Christ and what he did on the cross. The promise of what heaven is going to be like, the golden streets, the golden mansions. I had a lady ask me this week what I thought heaven was going to be like, and I said, I don't think that we can describe it. I don't think I could put it into words for you. I can't even conceive of it. The golden mansions and the golden streets don't bring enough glory to it. You read how John tried to describe the throne room of Christ in the book of Revelation. You can't hardly draw a picture of what he was, what he was describing. We have all these amazing promises, the promises of peace in the storm, the promises of having the storm calmed from time to time in our lives, the, the promises of healing, the promises of the resurrection, ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened. All these promises are completely bound up in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and who he is. Therefore, with all the promises of God being bound up in Jesus, it is imperative that we know who he is, and more importantly, it is imperative that we know him. And there is a difference between knowing who someone is and actually knowing them. I can tell you all about Michael Bidwill. Y'all don't know who that guy is. He's the owner of the Arizona Cardinals. I can tell you he grew up in St. Louis. I can tell you that his dad owned the Cardinals before he did, and his grandpa owned the Cardinals before he did. I can tell you he went to law school and became an attorney. He became a U.S. attorney. He practiced law. He had a great career until he took over the family business from his father. I can tell you all about him. I know who he is. I don't know him. And I, and I mean, and I've seen pictures of him. I've seen videos of him. But if I passed him on the street, I probably wouldn't even recognize him. I don't know him. If I did recognize him and I said hi, he would be cordial and speak to me probably. I hope you're having a nice day. He wouldn't know who I was. We don't know each other. I mean, I, I, I know who Dak Prescott is. I can tell you all about Dak Prescott. I knew Dak Prescott was going to be the next franchise, the next franchise quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys 
when they drafted him in the fourth round. I knew he was going to be the next big thing because I had seen him play at Mississippi State. I can, I can tell you where Dak is from. I can tell you where he played his college ball. I can tell you that he pays his mom's phone bill, her cell phone bill, even though she passed away, but he still pays that cell phone bill so he can call her number and hear her voice on the answering machine. I could, but I don't know Dak Prescott. We're not buds. We don't have a relationship. It's important that we know him. And part of knowing Jesus is, is knowing him by experience, experiencing Christ, and knowing his salvation, and knowing the power of his resurrection, drawing close to him, experiencing him, spending time in his presence. And that's what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, where he says, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency and the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Paul is saying, I lost everything for Jesus. I gave up everything for Jesus. I put everything on the line for Jesus. But there was a purpose. I wanted to win him. I wanted to be found in him, verse 9. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I may attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul had given up everything for the Lord, but his desire was to be found in Jesus. When you saw Paul, he wanted you to think about Jesus. He wanted to be identified with Christ. And that meant suffering with him. That meant suffering like him. That meant following in his footsteps, going through the sufferings that he went through. But it also meant depending on him, trusting him, being provided for by God. And it meant being credited not with his own righteousness of what all he could sacrifice, what all he could do, how many souls he could lead to the Lord, but rather how he could depend on Christ and Christ would give him the testimony of the righteousness of God. His desire was to be found in Jesus, identified with him through the gospel and being found in the righteousness of Christ that comes by faith. In doing so, he wanted to know by experience Christ. A lot of times we don't know Christ, we don't know him by experience because we don't want to be identified with him because we don't want to go through what it takes to be identified with him. We want our comfortable world, we want... We want our fast food. I'm not against fast food. I buy it all the time. But we center our lives on the pleasures of this world, and we don't want those pleasures of this world interrupted. Therefore, we never experience Christ because we're not willing to put our own lives on hold in order to put him first. You know, when, when a man says, I've surrendered to the ministry, I've surrendered to be a preacher of the gospel, but I can't go to seminary because I have a job. I can't move out of my hometown because everything I know is here. I can't step out on faith because I've got all these other irons in the fire that tells me we didn't really surrender, now did we? We're not putting Christ first. We're not willing to sacrifice anything. And, and in so doing, we, we don't sacrifice anything. We don't put Christ first. We don't center our lives on his grace and his salvation. We never really experience him. We'll buy a book about experiencing God. We'll buy a book about experiencing Christ. And we think that we can buy this book, read it, and, and do some of the things in it. Light a candle somewhere, pray in the corner, whatever, and somehow have a God experience. But you never really have a God experience until you place him first. And you're willing to walk away from everything that is precious to you to be able to serve him. 
And in knowing by experience Christ, Paul knew that he would attain the resurrection of the dead. That means eternal life. Everything that we hope for, everything that God has promised, all the goodness that we look for from God, we access all of it through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by faith in him, by trust in him. And that means believing his promises. And that means knowing that whatever you give up in this life, he's going to repay you tenfold when you get to the kingdom. But we need to know who he is and we need to know him by experience. It's not enough just to be able to read his stats off of ESPN.com. We've got to have a conversation with him. We've got to see what he wants from us and be willing to give. That's who Christ is. And then this passage in Isaiah chapter 9 tells us what he will do. Verse 7 says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The Lord will come and establish his kingdom on earth. The Lord will come and establish his kingdom, his kingdom on earth. It says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. He is going to establish his kingdom. And that's what we need to remember that. We need to have that in our minds and in our hearts. It's his kingdom. What did Jesus say in the model prayer? He says, thine is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The problem for Israel in Jesus' day was that they were looking for their kingdom to be restored. What did the disciples ask Jesus when he went up on the mountain and, and he ascended to be at the right hand of the throne of God in Acts chapter 1? What was the question they asked him? They said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They, are you, when are we getting the kingdom? When are we getting the keys? When do we get to try this thing out? It's not their kingdom. It's his kingdom. The problem with Israel was they saw it as their kingdom. They saw the restoration of the kingdom to be the restoration of their kingdom. And one of the problems in contemporary Christianity today, I say contemporary, I mean modern. I'm not trying to pick on who sings what song. But one of the problems with modern Christianity is that we're looking for the Lord to restore our kingdom. We want our kingdom. I want my house, my career, my accomplishments, my trophies, my church done my way. I want that church done my way to be blessed so it can validate my ministry. I want my dreams to come true, my desires to be filled. I want my kingdom restored. My kingdom has crumbled. My, my kingdom has, has struggled. I've lost territory. I want my kingdom restored. It's not your kingdom. It's his kingdom. It's his kingdom. There was a pastor on Facebook recently asked a question about what do you say to someone who says that they feel God's leading you to leave their church and to join another church. And the thing is, they were not your church member, buddy. They were God's follower. They were God's disciple. And the Lord moves us from place to place, but it's not our kingdom. It's not our church. Y'all are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I say that y'all are my church members, but you don't belong to me. You don't belong to me. When I say, oh yeah, Denise, she's one of my church members. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say, see, see, I, I've got good people in my church. But it's not, you're not my church member. I can't trade you for a draft pick. It's not my church. 
It's not a church. I have no ownership stake in this. It's all, it's all God's. It's his kingdom. And it's his kingdom that will be restored. It is his kingdom that will be established on this earth. And the characteristics of his kingdom are right here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. Of the increase of his government. Now, we're Republicans around here. We tend to be, you know, increased government. What this means, the increase of his government, what that means is abundance and great provision. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. That word peace, there's that shalom again, that safety, wellness, completeness. The characteristic of the kingdom of God is that there's going to be plenty. There's going to be abundance. There's going to be goodness. There is going to be peace. There's going to be completeness. There's going to be perfection. There's going to be safety. The, the Bible teaches about cities that have no walls. What that means in their culture, what, when you said a city without walls in their culture, it's a city that did not need a defense. We, the kingdom of God will not need a homeland security department. We will not have to monitor internet traffic to figure out where the next terrorist attack is going to be. We're not going to worry about the Chinese. We're not going to worry about the Russians. There will be no threat whatsoever. We will have abundance. We will have everything we need. No inflation, no shortages, no supply chain issues, no economic downturns, no recessions. It'll be the increase of his government, abundance and great provision without end, endless peace, endless shalom, endless safety, wellness, completeness. And this kingdom will be established with judgment and justice from henceforth, even forever. Justice and ju judgment and justice doesn't sound very fun. It sounds like a courtroom. But let me tell you something. What this means is in his kingdom, he's going to put an end to sin. He's going to put an end to wrongfulness. He's going to put an end to evil. Have you ever been done wrong and the person who did you wrong just flat got away with it? That ever happened to you? You ever had your vehicle burglarized and the police like, well, we're not going to be able to find the guy. He just got your stereo. You ever have somebody do something wrong to you and they say, well, it's your word versus theirs. There's nothing we can do about it. Well, it's really hard to prove these cases in court. There's just not much we can do about it. Let me tell you something. That's not going to happen in the kingdom of God. And if you're sitting here dealing with, and I deal with hard issues, hard feelings a lot in my own life, so I can relate to this. But if you're sitting here dealing with an issue where someone has done you wrong and they just flat got away with it and you, want, you just really want them to know how bad they hurt you, remember the verse, several verses, where God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay there's two things you can take from that. One is whatever you wanted to happen to them in this earth, if you wanted them to go to prison, if you wanted them to pay a fine, if you wanted them to pay you back with interest, whatever you want to have happen to them as a result of what they did to you, whatever God's going to do to them will be way worse. And secondly, and this is the one I have a hard time with, while we pray for vengeance, we need to remember that we're praying for forgiveness for ourselves. And if you want to pray for forgiveness for yourself, we also need to be willing to see that forgiveness extended to others. But God will take care of the vengeance. This kingdom that we're going to be going into, there are no crimes. There are no wrongdoings. There are no harms being committed. He will establish it with judgment and justice, the end of sin, and no more wrongdoings. This is what we're looking forward to. This is our hope. This is our confident expectation. Ronald Reagan said America's best days were still ahead of her. And we may have seen those best days. We may not. The best days of America may still be ahead of us. I don't know. But I'm telling you, whatever the best days of America are, the best days and the worst days of the kingdom of God are way better than America's best days. We have something great here to look forward to. 
We're going through some hard times now. Sick relatives, economic uncertainty, conflict in our lives. But what we're going to is going to know none of this pain. That's what we're looking forward to. But remember, it is all bound up in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the door. He said so. John chapter 10. He said, I am the door. So that's who Christ is. That's what Christ will do. And then we see his motivation. In verse 7 at the very end, it says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Well, what's that mean? It means that the zeal of the Lord of hosts is what's going to propel all this to happen. What's that word zeal mean? That word zeal, I looked this up. I used a Bible dictionary. And it's basically a passion. Y'all ever, y'all ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? Wasn't that an interesting title for the movie? Well, the title was telling you that it was his passion for you that, it, that propelled him to endure everything that he endured on your behalf. That word zeal means a passion. When we talk about passion, we're talking about, and the, the word carries with it a connotation of a, like a romantic passion. Like, do you remember dating your husband? And, well, I say that, I'm looking across at the ladies. Bobby, you've been dating your wife, all right? <laughs> but do you remember that dating phase when you couldn't get enough of each other? You had to be together all the time. You remember that? Uh, they consumed your thoughts. They consumed your life, and you couldn't picture life without them. That's similar to the passion that God has toward us. See, he has his passion toward you, that he wants to be with you. He wants you to be in his presence. He wants the two of y'all to be together, to enjoy that, that close fellowship. That's why the temple was built in the Old Testament. That's why the tabernacle was built. Why did God order the building of the tabernacle? Because he wanted to dwell among his people. That's what the purpose of the temple was, that he could dwell among his people. God wants to dwell among his people. He wants to be with us. He wants to be our God. He wants to be our provider. He wants to be our protector. And he wants us dwelling in his presence. He has a passion for this. He wants to be reunited with us in the worst way. The redemption of his people, our salvation through Jesus Christ, what propelled Christ to go to the cross, what propelled the resurrection, what opened the gates of heaven, what brought about these promises was the passion that God has toward us. The establishment of his kingdom is being driven by God's passion toward us, realizing that what he is doing is creating for us an eternal home so that we can forever be with him is what drives his passion. And that brings a whole new meaning to, when, to the words of Jesus in John chapter 14 when he says, I go to prepare a place for you. He has gone to prepare a place for us, a home, and he's going to come back and he's going to receive us and he's going to take us to his home. And that's why we can believe him and that's why we can trust that his promises will come true because he has this passion for us. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. It's why we can believe that he works all things together for our good because he's passionate about us. He has his passion for us. It's why we can believe that he is at his very core good because what kind of a God has this kind of passion for his people but a God that is truly good from the inside out. And this is why we can believe that he will bring us to an expected end and that expected end is good. What was the verse in Jeremiah where he says, uh, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of good and not evil, 
to bring you to an expected end. He's going to bring us to an expected end. He is going to transform us into the people that he intended on us, that he created us to be, and that is going to be good. And we can trust that because he has this passion for us. God is good. God loves you. God has a passion for you. Other people may not have a passion for you. You may feel like everybody in this world does not like you. You may feel like you're the square peg trying to fit into the round hole. Like you just can't find your niche in this world. Like you can't find the community. You can't find the friendships. You can't find the confidants. You can't find those that you can connect to and you kind of feel isolated and out of sorts. And you're, sometimes you lay in bed at night and you're like, this, I'm, nobody can understand how you feel except how you feel. There's no way you could possibly verbalize how you feel to other people. But God understands how you feel. And you may not be able to find community on this earth, but God is your God and he loves you. He has his passion for you. He's your community. He loves you. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. I know I've been here for a couple of weeks. Probably won't be here next week. Probably be at a different scripture next week. But it's just such an amazing passage of scripture. Because here we are in darkness and light shines. Here we are hopeless but then we're given hope because unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And this son is amazing. This son is unique. This son is one of a kind. He's the only begotten son of God and his love and passion toward us. He goes to the cross. He suffers the wrath of God on our behalf, clears us of our sin debt, wipes the slate clean where he can receive us into his presence. And not only that, but he goes to prepare a place for us so that he can establish a kingdom on earth so that we could dwell with him forever and be at peace and never no, no, more no pain or heartache. And this promise was given to us in Isaiah chapter 9, and it's repeated throughout the Bible, and we see the fulfillment of the redemption part of it in the four Gospels in the New Testament. And this is what we're celebrating. Rachel and Venetia and Isaac helped put up a tree last night. Not a real tree, but, you know, we got one out of the garage. It's pre-lit. We do things the easy way in my household. We, brought, we buy the pre-cooked turkey on Thanksgiving that you put, pop in the oven for a couple hours. The canned cranberry sauce. The tree is artificial and the lights are already on it. Do not let holiday stress you out. Now, if you want to have, you, you want to do it the hard way, do it the hard way. Just do not let it stress you out. In my household, we do it the easy way. But what's it all about? And what's this season center on? The season centers on the notion of Advent, the arrival, the expectation, the faith becoming sight, the Christ arising and arriving. It's about hope. We're looking forward to great things in the kingdom. And that hope is tied up 100% in Christ. And do you believe that? And are you finding hope this holiday season? Or are you struggling? We can talk about it during the invitation, or you can get with me after church. But I'm here. Let's talk. As we stand, we'll sing the first and last verse of Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound 
that saved a wretch like me.